What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I've got a very special guest, Dr. Jesse Gold. She is a psychiatrist and assistant professor at Washington University in St. Louis and also a freelance writer. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, there... It, I, I, I went and I did some research before you came on the show, and I went to your website, which is fantastic. And I watched, um, you have some like compilation videos of uh, all the news, uh, MSNBC. You've been on a ton of news programs, especially during the, the, the pandemic. And the one that when I knew, because uh, Generally, when I'm doing a little bit of research on my guests, I, I'm like, am I going to like this person? Are we going to get along? Or how are we going to gel? How am I going to make this work? I felt so at ease with your just philosophy on life. I think what really made me feel very comfortable was when you went on, you, I think it was MSNBC, and they were asking, something came up about people going out to bars and spreading it. And you're like, these people need to feel comfortable and they want to be around people that they love. And I understand that. And I'm not angry with them because this is how certain people cope. And I was like, all right, she gets it. She, she, she understands, like she's not angry. She's looking at things in a different perspective, you're wearing the other shoe, right? And and that's really when I was like, that's because that's what I, I do that a lot myself. And so I just wanted to, I, I'm, I'm glad that you were on a lot of these news programs during that time to kind of help people understand. So I, I want to thank you for that. That was awesome. Oh, yeah. Thanks. I mean, it's interesting when you do work and work in a population that isn't usually on the news all the time and like healthcare workers and college kids, honestly. And then the pandemic has been so hard on both populations and people look for people to talk about it. And I just happen to be one of those people. But I also think like kind of what you're talking about, like when you study any sort of mental health profession, you basically assume that anyone can be your patient at any time. So the point is not to make people scared to see you for whatever reason, even if at the core you politically disagree with them. I think that there are people that maybe over time that becomes harder, but I do think at the basic like human level, when people have trouble with things, it's often because they went down an emotional rabbit hole about it and they found articles that support the way they feel, right? So if you're angry that you lost your job, you can go down a emotional rabbit hole about how masks are the reason you lost your job, and then you're not going to be in favor of masking, right? So it's very easy to get pulled into that without really doing it from a place of like anti-medicine, though I think some people do. But I think there's also just an emotional realness to how people get put in those situations that I believe pretty strongly in. And I try to do my best to understand. Absolutely. And and another thing, um, just reading a little bit of your work, you know, you, I like how you normalize, like emotions are normal. Feeling this way is normal. Um, and I think that a lot of like, because the way I see our society is I, I feel like the mental health is definitely a giant, giant issue. And I, I feel, you know, I have, I guess, my own worldview of, of maybe what's wrong and how we could fix it. I think that, um, discipline, eating correctly, working out, getting outside and, you know, spending time with the people that you love and, and, and mi- minimizing your screen time. 
I think is that's what's helped me. And, you know, doing activities for your, your you know, yourself, whether it be reading or, or self-development, like I'm a really big on self-development. If I'm not moving forward, I feel like I'm stagnating and I'm going to die and I'm a failure. So like, that's just, that's where I'm at. But I'm wondering like, what can we do? Or, or I want to get your thoughts on two things. Like one, do you think, you know, as a psychiatrist, do you think that social media is at its core, maybe leading to the degradation of our society, and and two, how can <laughs> how can people mitigate that? That was a deep way of saying it. You're like, is social media the devil? Um, yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting. So I'm a healthcare worker who's also on social media. So I have a different perspective on this because I've actively used most sites. So I know both how much they pull you in emotionally, but also where the benefits are. I think that the data is pretty mixed, honestly. Like I think you'll find a study that tells you social media makes people depressed and anxious, but you'll also find a study that says people who are depressed and anxious use social media to have social support. And that's also true. I think that the data on self-esteem is probably the strongest. So like Instagram and having like sort of curated life that's not your real life affects people's self-esteem, especially people who are struggling with self-esteem to begin with. I think that makes sense and has been pretty much consistently proven over time. Whether it affects like mood disorders or anxiety disorders is a lot more complicated. I feel like for me, especially over the pandemic, when they took away socializing, that social media was very important. And I felt the same with my patients that when they were not going to class in college anymore, that being able to interact with their friends over social media or gaming, honestly, like multiplayer gaming, they were able to feel like they were still socializing in a weird, but to like, you know, different capacity. And I think it does have benefits there. I always say, and I think it's important for everybody to realize that like, it does affect you though. And so I often tell you, like, tell my patients, tell myself <laughs> to check it, right? So like, if you're on Twitter and you're grinding your teeth nonstop and you're getting super angry and you can't stop looking at stuff, like stop and say, whoa, I'm getting angry and realize that that's probably because of Twitter and take a break. I think it's really important not to do right before bed. It's very tempting to do because it's a small screen and an easy screen and we use it for our clock most of the time. But yeah. I think it's really important to be like, this is bedtime. Not only does the screen affect your bedtime, but the, the whatever information you're reading, if it's the world right now, is a lot, right? So that's going to affect you getting to sleep because you might feel more anxious. So I've personally really tried to do something else right before bed. I'm not a big meditation person, but that works for a lot of people. But for me, it's been like, can you read something that's light, the kind of stuff you might bring to a beach that has nothing to do with the things that like are mental health related, which I actually like, or advocacy related, which I actually like. But can you read something that just is very not gonna, it's just not gonna make me worse. And I think that's important. It might not be the same thing everybody does. I think audiobooks are good for that. Podcasts are good for that. But doing something before bed and realizing it affects your bedtime is important. 
I think some people also will feel better if they set like boundaries around it. So I know a lot of people who don't touch it during the workday. It is very hard to do that. But I think that, you know, people will move their phones or put their phones somewhere else or try to put blocks on the the social media platforms or your computer so you can't access it. You can do all of that. You can also track how much you're on it. But it can just be helpful to start with. I'm not going to use it 30 minutes before bed. And I'm going to pay attention to how my mood is when I'm using this. And if I feel my mood is worsening in any capacity, I'm going to step back. Yeah, that's 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 pretty solid advice. I definitely do that in my my own life. I, I don't. I will not allow phones. Uh, me, you know, me and my girl, no phones in the room. Like uh, that, just I don't know. It's just too big of a temptation, and I'll probably I'll go down rabbit holes of looking up weird things about. I have no idea. You name it, I'm probably gonna like Google it and start reading, and then I'll end up staying up till four, and it's just it'll ruin my life. Um, I think a good place to go from here is really kind of back to the beginning. Um, I want to know how did you get started? Like, what made you decide to to want to be a psychiatrist? And like, is this something that you've always been interested in? So it's a good question. So I think I was like the kid who was good at science who thought that meant you should go to medical school. And so for a really long time, I just figured I'd go to medical school. Um, in college, I was an anthropology major and had a, I did a master's in anthropology as well. And I think that made me start the conversation about the social sciences, have more of an awareness about cultural and societal influence on health and that sort of thing. So I started thinking about it then, I would say. But when I went to medical school, which I still went to because I thought that's what you do when you're good at science, mm-hmm. um, I didn't want to be a psychiatrist because my father is a psychiatrist. Oh. And so <laughs> I, was, I was just like, I like the brain. Like, maybe I'll be a neurologist. And that's that. And then, like, literally everything I did, I felt much more drawn to psychiatry. Like, I liked how much time they had with people. I liked that, like, the social history was important to who they, you know, how they presented. And it wasn't just the diagnosis that we were really, like, curious about. It was, like, the whole picture. And the psychiatrists were the people who were also writing and also doing different things. So I was like, I can have a weird career in medicine, in psychiatry. It seems flexible. And at the same time, I get time with people and to like really concentrate on them. And I think that was really important to me. And it doesn't exist a lot in most medical fields anymore. No, no, definitely not. Now, forgive me of my ignorance here. Uh, Are there different like fields of psychiatry like like or there there's there's a child psychiatrist like uh, and then an adult is there like do they how does that field kind of break down? I have no idea I wouldn't call it ignorant it's super confusing like though people use the word therapist and it's like 75 different degrees that count as therapists so I completely understand how it would be confusing so for people who don't know psychiatrists go to medical school if that wasn't clear in what I was saying part of the reason that's helpful is we prescribe medication so no one else that is in mental health can prescribe medications part of that comes from our ability to understand the rest of the body and how it functions and also to rule out the rest of the things right so medical diseases can look like psychiatric diseases and vice versa they sort of play off each other and like the mind brain connection kind of like mind body 
and how that relates to each other, right? Like people with chronic pain, sometimes that leads to inflammation and that makes you depressed, et cetera, et cetera. But because we understand all of that and we went to school and had the same basic background as like someone who went into surgery, I can be able to say like, okay, I kind of remember that. Let me look that up further <laughs> and I'll understand it more yeah. or I'll know what stuff I need to really be looking for because I see a lot of the same overlaps over and over again. And I also can say like, okay, this person's on these meds. Do they interact with the meds I'm trying to prescribe? And how do I know? What do I need to warn them about? And stuff like that. So that I get from being in medical school. Um, In psychiatry, you go to four years of residency. So everybody does four years of training after medical school. And then some people do an additional year or two of what's called a fellowship. That's the same in every specialty. Like you could go to general surgery and then do another subspecialty within that like GI. And that's like another fellowship. Sometimes surgical ones are just another three years. But in psychiatry, you can do one to two year ones. Um, Most of the time, like probably the most popular one is what you're talking about, like child and adolescent. That's two years. Um, But people also do addiction or consult psychiatry. Like if you're in the hospital on like a medical floor and you have something psychiatric related, those people are consult psychiatrists or people will do forensic psychiatry. So like the people that testify in court about people's mental stability, for lack of a better word, um, is forensics. And we don't learn a lot, a lot about forensics in residency. We have to be exposed to it. But I certainly wouldn't feel comfortable doing that as my job unless I had time. So they get some time to focus on that. Like I didn't do a fellowship, but I I sort of have fallen into the things I'm interested in because I'm interested in it. So like when I was in residency, I knew I was interested in college kids. I love college kids as patients. There's a lot of mental health stuff going on in college. It's the first time a lot of things come out too. So like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. But I was like, do I need to go to child and adolescent training to see college kids because they're just past it? Like they just don't count anymore, right? And a lot of people will argue yes, because there's a developmental aspect that would be helpful in college kids. But I just argued I'll go work on a college campus and figure it out from there and just saw a lot of patients and figured it out from being around people. And the same with physicians or healthcare workers. It's really just been something I've been interested in. My master's thesis was on pre-med as a culture. So I've just really been interested in why we do what we do in medical training and how we got here um, for as long as I can remember. And that has led me to seeing healthcare workers as patients too, which I think is helpful. Yeah. Healthcare, (laughs) it's trash. It is the worst (laughs) It's trash. It's pure. I mean, I'm I'm dating someone that is a healthcare worker, and it's just complete trash. I I I, do I get to like? Well, I live with her, but like, it's um, like she like comes home because like that's the thing. Like, I see a lot. So I also see spouses, right? Oh, I see. I see. I see what you're saying. It's very hard to be in a relationship with someone in healthcare, particularly if you're not in healthcare, because it's just really consuming, and the stuff we talk about is not. It's no, fucking no. awful. It's the worst. It's the way. It's the worst. Uh, I I couldn't. I couldn't do that. I so I, I you you're never appreciated. 
uh, enough, right? And you know, your job is to help people and to like be there. And you see people in the worst worst states. You know, um, as an occupational therapist, she'll see people that uh, have you know MS and that they're 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 dying, and their husband is not able to understand that they don't, he doesn't maybe want necessarily this person to go on hospice as an example. Cause you know, he's in love with her and like, she's having to explain like, this is the, the fuck that I would never do that as a profession. I just talking about it sometimes on the phone, she'll call me and I'll listen. And then I'll be like, I'm too depressed right now. This is too much. I'm sad. Like this story, how, and you've got to go see someone else that's going to die. Like, no, no, no. I don't know how you guys do it. I couldn't do yeah. it. I, I, uh, I was a business guy. I went to school. I have better benefits. You know, you make more money. It's just like that. I, I don't know. You guys are crazy. You're crazy a lot yeah. for sure. I went and to Penn undergrad. So all my friends are in business and they went right into work instead of all the training and school and then they make like four times as much as I do but you know I mean I think I mean someone's got to do it and like we get you know we get really it's really bad but we get accustomed to those hard stories and we learn to deal with them sometimes it becomes too hard and that happens occasionally sometimes our life interferes and that makes it harder to deal with but for the most part like I'm very used to hearing the hardest parts of people's life over and over and over again and not feeling bad about it and feeling like I could do something to change it. And I think that's sort of part of it is like we can help, which is like a lot of people with like things like in the news right now feel very much like they can't do anything to change it. So it feels very like numbing. But for me, it's like that's kind of just like a horribly sad story. But at least I listened and I was the first person to listen or I was there for that person through that. At least I could do that for them. And so it feels like it gives you some sort of agency, even though it's really horrible because you're helping. Yes. A hundred percent. You, and that's, that's cool. And what, what would you say to the people that are, I mean, hopefully I don't think my audience is really watching that much news. We've kind of, I feel like if you're tuning into this podcast, you're kind of, you've kind of like shed, shed all of those things. But if you are watching news, like what I realized a long time ago with that is there is nothing I can't do about it. And the only thing that I can control is myself. I can control what I put into my body. I can control the effort that I have and I can control my attitude. Everything else that's going on that I might not agree with or that makes me sad is just noise and distractions trying to trying to knock me off from my goals and 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 or excuses for me not doing something, right? Because I pay attention to those things. So like, I mean, what kind of advice do you have with someone that would just is a, maybe a little bit too plugged in to what is going on? the news stops like you know like you can take a break from it and you will still figure out what happened like we have too much news it used to be on for like 30 minutes to an hour and we were still okay right so mm-hmm. if you think about that you do not need to be 24 7 looking at that stuff you also do not need news alerts on your phone so if it feels like a lot to be getting push notifications or emails about whatever the headline is from whatever news source you subscribe to stop that 
make it go away because you will catch it eventually. Someone will tell you, you know, I'm in a profession that I feel like I have to be pretty informed because people are going to talk about what's going on in the world because it affects their mental health. And so I've had to draw a lot of those boundaries for myself, which is like, you just need to know what's happening, but you don't need to like be absorbed in it if you can't be absorbed in it. And I think that's really important as a provider, but I think it's very important as a human to be like, the world is hard. And if I need a break, to focus on myself, to focus on my family, to figure out the best way to cope. It's okay. Like it doesn't make you bad, right? I think we have this like belief that like if we're not informed, like if we're not advocating, if we're not trying to change something, all of a sudden we like are these horrible people who don't care about the world. And I don't think they're equated. Like I think you can take some time to focus on yourself. Just be aware of the world that you live in. And I think that's important, but I don't think it has to consume you. I think so, too. And I also think that, like, you know, if you really want to see, you know, a change in the world, like, to try and do something really, really small. Like, pick up some, like, I don't know, if I, I was really in a, a little darker place. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go out in, in my little section of the road or, like, where my house is, by my mailbox. I'm going to pick up, if there's any trash, I'm going to clean that up. I'm going to clean up that litter. And that's, you know, that maybe that was all I did that day. But just really small incremental steps to make your environment, you know, a better a better place for yourself and other people, right? Like that. That I think that a lot. Of, I and I have this problem too. I, I have like giant grandiose ideas of certain things I want to accomplish, and and you know maybe I get too far, or I, I might think about it too much, and then I end up doing nothing. Where it's like you know that old saying, "How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time?" So just you know, I like to. It's it's easy to scale up intensity. You know, a lot of people, but a lot of people start out too intense. Yeah, it's it's important you mentioned that because I think that people do the same thing with to-do lists, right? They're like, I did nothing this week, but really their to-do list was like, write a book. Like, it is very hard to write a book, right? Like, maybe it should be write five pages, right? But we don't want a long to-do list. We just want to know what we have to do. And so it, it makes us stressed out to see something longer, but you actually can check stuff off and you feel like you actually did something. And that's really important to, like, preventing burnout and feeling like you have self-efficacy and, you know, that you're moving forward in your life and not, like, stagnant. It also helps with hope, right? Like, I think hope is really important for things like, a two-year pandemic, right? And it's important to find like the places to have that. And what you talked about with like picking up the trash, it's like, well, I could do this. I can make this little corner better. That's something I can do. I can have hope about like, I'm going to focus on today right now in the moment, which is a lot of what people in substance use recovery do, right? Like focusing on what you can change and not what you can't. And that's really important because if you live things like something can be different tomorrow. So it's important to live like, okay, what can I fix? What can't I fix? Why am I harping on the all I can't fix column and focus more on what you can do? And little things is really important. Absolutely. Do you work much in the, the realm of substance abuse? Like I have people who have that as their presentation or have it as like a, we would call comorbid presentation. So somebody who also has depression, but also use substances. I have a couple people who are in recovery. Um, but I wouldn't say it's like my top prescribing people that I see. Like I definitely mm -hmm. think our clinic is like anxiety, depression, ADHD, 
Um, and then, <laughs> you know, you hope- sometimes that's because like primary care doctors won't prescribe stimulants. And so we just get an influx of those people. But otherwise, it's just, you know, there's like people who have it that are in that community of like healthcare workers and stuff. I, I, ADHD is a, it's a weird one for me because I have it, but I'm like, I don't know. I was prescribed, but it was Adderall back in the day, but I couldn't do it. Like it changed my personality too much and absolutely stifled any creative thoughts that I have. So it wasn't for me. I, I, I think that ADHD, right. I definitely think it is a hundred percent. I don't know. It's I just feel like you got to be interested in what you're after. Like if you if you try to get me to learn something that I have no interest in, I am not paying attention. No matter what, I I will go any place else. So it's like, I don't know. I th- I think it's a it's definitely a gene that we all have. Uh, same thing with addiction. I want to get to that as well because I if if my understanding of addiction is correct it is actually a very good trait to have, right? Like uh, back in the day, think of like caveman days. It, if you you would get addicted or like obsessed with like being a good hunter or being a good gatherer, and then you through that obsession would be able to provide for your, your group. But since that's not the case anymore, you might use those same skills of like hyper-focus being fixated on, you know, a drug, and then it'll kind of ruin and derail your life. But if you can change like if you could switch that level of addiction onto something else that might be a little healthier because i have friends that have successfully done this um you know but i mean that's few and far between but have channeled that in like exercise fitness it got shredded and then applied that to going back to school and doing these things but i'm just wondering like do i have a a a decent understanding of what addiction is probably not but i had to ask (laughs) I mean, it's very biologic. So a lot of what you're talking about is true. It's all about pleasure and the pleasure center of your brain and whether how you respond to different things that would be pleasurable in one person and maybe are overly pleasurable in somebody else and where that's coming from. I I think there's evolutionary understandings of most things and most things maybe were helpful at one point. So like obesity. We weren't able to become obese because we were not able to eat that much when we were like hunter gatherers. Right. Mm -hmm. But you were able, if you were able to eat when you had the food, you know, it would be, so it's not wasted. And at the same time, like anxiety is very similar. So anxiety was used for like threat prediction. Right. So Mm -hmm. like, is this place safe or is this place about to be unsafe? Right. So I'm like, okay, that's what anxiety does. But if you have an anxiety disorder, you think like everything could be unsafe, right? So you're firing all the time and saying, well, this seems unsafe. Before it used to tell us to run when a predator was coming or tell us like, well, predators like to hide in bushes that look like this. So like, this is probably not a safe place to be. And so that like worry was helpful, but it gets unhelpful when you can't turn it off or when it's constant. Yeah, 100%. I would definitely probably be dead if I lived in because I'm not a very anxious person. I'm not yet, but I definitely see that. John John explained explained his uh, anxiety to me and I was like, uh, that sounds awful. I do not want that. What's up, John? Uh, I was just going to say like uh you're talking depression, anxiety, ADHD. That's me. Like so like I get like and I've had the complete opposite uh 
experience with Adderall. I've been taking Adderall for now about three years, and it's been that with antidepressants has been like a life changing experience to me. I'm like actually a functional human being before, like whereas before it was like like Rick had said, if if I wasn't interested in whatever we were talking about, uh, I'm not. I'm not doing it. Like I can't, you know, and now I can actually like control my brain, which is really cool. Yeah. A lot about ADHD for people gets dismissed as like, that's their personality. And so they can go a long time without treatment because people are just like, oh, she forgets stuff. Or sometimes she can't focus or like, let's make sure she remembers she has a test tomorrow, like whatever that is. Right. And so people go their whole life, like really feeling like they're struggling on certain things that only gets worse over things like the pandemic when you're stuck in front of a computer all day. But then they get treatment. And if the treatment works, as opposed to the meds that you took, which might have just not been the right med for you, but I can't tell you because I'm not your doctor. But like, it helps like so much so that people have like, thanked me profusely for changing their life with them similar to what you're talking about, which is like, you just feel like, oh, this is what productivity feels like, like this is what people were doing. I just had no idea that this was part of what I should be doing because my life was different. It's, I, it's a tough one for me because I, I definitely agree. I've seen, look at, I look at John and I see the benefits, but I also, there's a part of me that's a little bit reluctant because I do feel like our society seems to want to gravitate towards like taking a pill to, to solve all of our problems. Right. Essentially. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not accusing you of that by any means, but, uh, <laughs> but, You're but like I, I do. Speaking to the person who prescribes pills. Thank, thank <laughs> you for doing your, that. This, this is all is your fault. fault. 100% yeah, your fault. Um, but it's, you know, it's stuff Cause I just, I look at my own experience. That's, a, that's how I've learned. And I was, I just didn't, I did not enjoy it. And I had to figure out how to, focus a lot of the times unsuccessfully like that that's the problem right i can't just focus on something that and that's still an issue for me if if i'm not interested in it there is no way i i can't do it i'll pay someone to do it for me or figure like figure out a way at, you know to get around it but um i don't know i i mean i feel like that's something that that we all have the the capacity to learn without meds. Like what are kind of, what are your, your thoughts on it's that? It's complicated. I'm a very big believer in like the role of biology and all of this. And sometimes you can't run biology away. Right. So like some of that is great and totally helpful. And I'm like a holistic approach to healing kind of person too. Right. So like exercise and eating well and all that stuff does help your mental health. But sometimes people are either biologically too sick or just too sick when you tell them to go running, that that's just not possible to help, right? So I think that it's a spectrum. And ideally, we'd be seeing people a lot earlier, but we aren't a society that focuses on prevention. So a lot of times people turn to pills because they are that sick. I would love people not to come see me because that meant they were a lot of them were able to figure out stuff earlier on before they got too burnt out to function or too sad to function, et cetera. Like some of those things, like even psychotherapy and having someone to talk to can be a lot more helpful if you do it when you're like a four or a five instead of a nine or a 10, right? So when you're a nine or a 10, 
you're coming to me and like, I'm going to hopefully help, but meds are imperfect. And I'm sure someone listening to this will tell me all of the ways that they hate their medication. And I can tell you all of the ways that I hate prescribing medication just as much. But I think that they do really help people and seeing that is really important. And I've seen that happen, but I do think it's something we have to work on, which is like mental health is a spectrum and we start at too late in the spectrum. Oh, that's, that's kind of eerie. We start too late. How do you, how do we fix that? Like, how do we, like, what would you like to see in, in order for you to, you know, the, your field to, to get people earlier so we can really help? Because we, I mean, we've, I've alluded, I definitely think there's a mental health crisis going on in America. Sure. And so how do we, what, 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 what would you like to see to improve this situation? I mean, so first of all, it's like when people are younger, like kids, just like they learn reading, I would love to see them learn like emotion regulation and stress reduction skills. Like if you learned how to deal with stress when you were like six and you knew like what worked for you, deep breathing or like mindfulness or like going for a run, whatever. If you figured that out when you were younger, you would have applied it a thousand times by the time you're my age and that's not even old. So I think, you know, something like, really thinking about them as skills that people can learn and master and that like is important to the holistic human being in education. I think that's part of it. They go to PE, they might as well get like some sort of emotion regulation stuff. I think that would make a big difference. I think we are moving towards talking more about it. And I think that's helpful and important, but talking doesn't necessarily mean that people get help. So I think we still are missing that step, which is like, it's all well and good to have like people like Naomi Osaka talking about their experiences and to feel like that sounds like me, maybe that's me too. But if you don't then go, let's go talk to someone about whether that's me, you're just reading online and Mm -hmm. that's not as helpful, right? Like I can help you or a therapist can help you if you really do feel Feel like you're struggling similarly. And I think that step is often missed. So people think we're in this culture where like mental health is like super destigmatized and we're all awesome and it's fine. But like I've had parents throw away the medicine bottles of their kids, like kids who put their medicine in like a Tylenol bottle so they don't have to deal with it at home, pay cash so that they're not on their insurance and their parents can't see the receipt or whatever, right? So there's like, these are things that are true. At the same time, people are like, college students talk about mental health all the time, right? So we're missing something, which is like that step from just talking about it to feeling okay doing something about it and being supported and doing something about it if you need to. Shit, man. You just made me realize like we need we need Mr. Rogers right now. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Rogers Mr. Rog- was trained as a therapist. He's yeah. fantastic. And most of what he says are in all my lectures. And I'm pretty sure he was like a prophet. But you know, Dude, we don't have anyone like that anymore. No, I I I'm obsessed with Mr. Rogers. Like his, a lot of his speeches um that he, for the awards that he received, it's all about the children and all the, like I watched his um, John. If you want to throw this in the show, I think it's in the in the seventies. They were they were threatening to cut public funding, and some some senator was going after this guy, and he totally just switched it around and got like a million dollars. This guy's like, "This is what you're doing. Like, this is great." But he dealt with a lot of the things that you were talking about, and I remember watching that as a you know as a child. The you know, how do you how do you deal with getting a haircut? With what's going on? Like he, a lot of those things. So I definitely think that um, 
the youth watching, you know, programming like that would be incredibly beneficial. Uh, I know I, you're, you're definitely, you're definitely on to something. You got to start young. You, you have to kind of start. And that's something also the onus, you got to put that on the parents. Like because of this conversation, right. That I'm having with you, I'll definitely file that into this will be useful folder in my brain. And, um, that, that is, something that you should, you know, definitely got to be teaching your kids. It's, it's interesting. A lot of my friends are having kids now and watching them deal with their emotions and having these meltdowns. I think it's hilarious, but I mean, maybe not so much for the parents, but it's their, you know, their brains coming online and learning that emotional regulation. What's, what's, what's how to be a human. Like they're learning all these things. So uh, positive reinforcement of the correct behaviors is definitely a, a, a good place to start. And then, Go ahead. Sorry. <clears throat> oh, I was just going to say, like, I mean, I think p- parents think that they have to hide that they have emotions and that they like struggle or are angry or whatever. Like, obviously, don't get angry t- if possible to the point that affects your family in a way like that. But I think, if you know, if you're watching the news and you're really sad and stressed out, your kid's going to know even if you pretend you're happy. Like, they understand what is going on in some way. And you can have age appropriate conversations about feelings or what's going on in the world. And I think that's really important because if you don't model it, then they think that if you have a feeling, you're supposed to hide it, right? Because they can tell you had a feeling and you hit it. So I think it's important to model that like the full range of emotions is human. And sometimes we struggle, but it doesn't mean we can't function most of the time. You know, like most people are sad sometimes, angry sometimes, happy sometimes. Happiness is like not a fair goal yeah well happiness is very fleeting Mm -hmm. it's not something that uh you can live in you can't just be happy all the time that's not life is a ups and downs right like it ebbs and flows like you definitely want to be your you want your level your like homeostasis to be like, yeah, I'm pretty upbeat and pep and that's, that's good. But those extreme highs that I'm sure we've all felt you graduating medical school. I don't know if you're a mom, but having your kids or their first steps, like those just, they're, they're fleeting moments. Right. But it's just getting that baseline, like to be okay. Like you're not angry. You're just kind of I like a, a, like a stoic. You're just even keeled. Like that's really where I'm trying to be. Cause I, I've been those, those massive emotional swings, they're they're not sustainable like they're they're i you i don't i've lived in that world for that was my the majority of my 20s and i i don't want to do that so i'm always just trying to get that that even keel that that flow state um you i'm trying to remember you touched on something i wanted to ask you and i it may have it may be gone we're talking Oh, the full range of emotions i thought that was particular in particularly interesting you think it it's this is kind of a foreign idea for me uh and it, i don't know why it makes me a little bit uncomfortable to think about that right i do think that all of us hide a, a wide variety of our emotions um and you think it's a, a good idea to to express the full range this is kind of revolution i've never thought about life this i mean way. i think there's time and place right yes like, yes yes, I, yes okay. ideally i wouldn't say that you start screaming at your boss or you start crying at work right like both of those <laughs> things can happen and it's human for them to happen and you can't necessarily like beat yourself up if they do but ideally that wouldn't be my recommendation but i think when you're able to ask yourself how you're doing when you're able to be alone and actually have feelings and think about your feelings. Like we do a lot of judging of feelings. Like 
these are okay feelings to have. These are good feelings. These are bad feelings. Like I'm not supposed to be mad. I'm not supposed to be sad. I'm just supposed to be happy. It's not possible. That movie Inside Out that was made for kids pretty much does this entire (laughs) conversation about the importance of sadness and anger. And I think it's completely true. They all have purpose in our life. And I think that the full range is important in that sense, because for me, if I like stifle being sad or stifle being angry, after a while, it just comes back worse, right? So like kind of like pushing down a beach ball and then the beach ball's like, hello, nice try. Mm-hmm. And so I think that happens a lot when we try to pretend we don't feel certain things. Like sometimes totally fine, able to do it, move right past it. It was just something that happened. Sometimes it all compounds and then you just feel miserable. And I think it really depends on the person, the situation, whatever. But I do think it's important that we're not learning like, these emotions are bad or these emotions are good and this is your goal emotion. And I struggle with that all the time. I mean, I'm telling you stuff that like my therapist tells me, which is like (laughs) happiness is not your goal. Like those shirts are stupid. Like don't, you know, that's not what you're trying to do. Like it's impossible. Like I feel like your goal is like to be mostly neutral, but to feel when you need to feel. And that's how I kind of view things. If that makes sense. Yes. No, it does. That's exactly how I try to view things. Like I just want to be the stoic. Like I, I love stoicism and I'm, I, are you familiar with stoicism? Yeah. Like all doctors are stoic, but probably not in the best way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's probably like theory behind it that doctors sure aren't following. Yeah, yeah, there there is a little bit of, of theory. And some doctors don't have the best bedside manner, that's for sure. <laughs> that's an understatement. I mean, <laughs> I think some of that is trained into you. Some of it is we don't deal with our own emotions, so why would we deal with yours, right? So I have a pretty strong belief as a person who takes care of healthcare workers that they're uncomfortable with getting mental health help. They stigmatize mental health for themselves. They're going to do the same thing to patients. So if you show emotions like you cry, sometimes doctors like get up and walk out of the room or find a reason to leave the room. And I've heard plenty of stories like that where people were like, I just started crying and they left. Like it was very weird. Or they handed me tissues and walked away, you know? And I think it's like, they're not comfortable with emotions in themselves. Like why would they be comfortable with your emotions? Yeah, that's, man. Yeah, that's, man. Just give me a lot to think about right now. And that was the goal, basically, to make you think. I was like, let's just tell you some stuff I've been thinking about and see if that registers. But I think that, you know, there are obviously some people go into medicine because they don't like feelings and it's easier to do these jobs that are like technical without feelings. But like, there's a lot more to it than what we think. Um, and we just haven't really dove into that enough. Yeah. I, I would I would agree. I the and but the, I would agree and that's exactly why I didn't go into that field. There's no I not I am not equipped for that. I just not. Uh but God bless you if you are. And uh also go get some mental health help if uh if you're in that field. I think I, you guys got you're dealing with a lot of shit, man. No way. <laughs> We're bad at dealing with it for ourselves, right? So I think for me like I went through most of COVID being like, I'm not a frontline worker. I'm fine. But I was miserable. I was like so tired and so burnt out. I wasn't depressed, but I was just not doing well. And I hadn't, I like couldn't blame work because I wasn't doing what my patients were doing. Like I wasn't exposing myself and my family to COVID. So I didn't think I deserved to feel bad. And I think we do a lot of that, like their situation's worse than mine or like their grief is worse than mine or whatever. And there's no like reason that we need a competition, but it's 
starts there and it makes it harder to like accept that we feel a certain way and it's okay, you know? I would agree with you. And you wrote a piece, which is how we found you on, on burnout. And, and, and was it a study that you did or was just a, 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 a piece? I, I'm only familiar with the piece, but did you, I think you did a study. I've done a lot of stuff. So like some of it is like my own experience and I've written narratives on like what being a psychiatrist during COVID has been like. And I think I'm pretty open about how I felt and where that came from in part because I've already processed it. So I'm a big believer in not telling your story if you're not ready. We don't always like let people do that because they had some mass event and then someone goes and finds them with a camera and then they get stuck telling their story over and over and over. But if you have the ability to choose, you should choose to do it as, as you're comfortable and to what extent you're comfortable. And like, I've processed being burnt out for like a year and a half. So I'm totally fine talking about my own experiences and hopefully helping other people understand themselves a bit from that. And I think um, I'm well aware my patients can read it. Uh, They don't always, but I'm well aware that they can. And I'm okay with that. It hasn't been a problem. They mostly like it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do some research on like how to better connect healthcare workers to care. So like, you know, if we, um, we, there's a big gap between need and actually accessing services, sort of like I talked about with college kids. So trying to figure out what that's about and how to make that easier and also have done some studies on like how licensing questions influence our ability to seek care. So like all the things like for medical licensing, they ask like very illegal questions about your mental health history or they have in the past. And so people have a lot of fear that they'll like take their license if they get help. And so that's a big barrier and trying to understand like, has that improved, which it has, but it's still not perfect. And I think, you know, I've done a lot of stuff like that. And I think that contributes to burnout just as much as the systems factors, right? So like work, work hours, your management, your supervisor, all that stuff. And so I think in America, we think we're supposed to be tired from work. Like, you know, one of the symptoms of burnout is like emotional exhaustion, but I feel like for most people, it looks like physical exhaustion. And so we are just like, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, you know, that's a prop. Like this is that place that we work in. When you're in medicine, you are tired all the time. And that's just how it is. So it just feels like you can't possibly have something wrong. And the only time it becomes wrong is there's another symptom of burnout that's like reduced sense of personal efficacy, which is just like someone else told you you're not doing as much or you're not doing as much. And so productivity becomes an issue. And so then it's affecting your work and you're like, oh, no. Like I was working really hard and then I was tired, but now I can't do work anymore. And then it's a problem. So we don't tend to like deal with stuff until it's really like interfering in these ways that we don't talk enough about. Like I think college kids and I think most people in their work can go pretty far, like still doing their work with no problems for a really long time and then still be pretty struggling. (laughs) Like college kids are sort of like they did school their whole life. They're just doing school. Like school will become a problem and then they're probably sicker, but it is not the first thing to go. Just like work is not the first thing to go. I would would say probably social life is like, you know, an easy place to see changes for people before like the things that matter in a society that, you know, like values achievement above all things. Right. 
Yeah, definitely. That is a that's a very interesting perspective. You're right. Like you would just probably see someone like they used to hang out with just completely drop off the radar. They're still going to school. And then maybe you go over to their house and it's a mess, but they're at the library all the time. So like that's that's one of the things that I've noticed when I'm in the past when I was down, right? Like I would stop taking care of the things that like my spaces, my room, my maybe my home would be really, really messy. And this would just compound on me feeling like shit. I'm like, oh, dude, I just, I need to clean. I feel better, but I can't. And then I'd stop going to the gym. And then eventually, like, it kind of keeps going until, like, I, I might be lying in bed and be like, okay, well, I got to do something because, like, this is untenable here. I need to cl- first step, clean my room. Then you kind of, I've kind of built myself, you know, you build yourself back up. But, um, I definitely could have seen at some point, and this, a lot of this happened in college too, at some of those points in my life, or probably talking to someone um, before I was in my bed just watching Netflix on my computer and like not doing anything. Uh, but it's such a slow and shut, like subtle shift. And over a long period of time that allows one to get in that position that would be hard to catch, I feel like. It was for me. I never was able to cut it until I was like in my bed watching Netflix. Some of it is this like emotional awareness thing, right? Like if when you were a kid, you learned that when you stopped doing things or you didn't socialize or you weren't picking up your room or whatever, that that was a warning sign. You'd be more aware it was a warning sign. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's just a thing I started doing. I just happened to be in sweatpants all the time. I don't know how I got in sweatpants all the time. (laughs) I like, I like sweatpants. They're comfortable, right? Like you just kind of like justify whatever because it's easy. Like, oh, I just put on sweatpants. I like them. Um, But there's usually can be not always there's something behind it. And so like, you know, I always tell people to pay like attention when they have started to become more aware of themselves in this way. Like, what are the things that you do? So for me, when I'm burnt out, I want to throw my computer and never respond to an email or a phone call. Like it's aggressively the first thing to go. Like, I do not want people to write me. (laughs) Like, I don't want to be asked to do more because that's what email is for me, asking me to do more things. And so the very first thing for me to go is like, I'm so angry at email (laughs) and it's like not a normal level of anger. And I'm aware that that's actually a burnout sign for me now. And then I'll like try to put limits on how often I'm on my computer and boundaries on how often I'm responding and where try to be more organized around it or take breaks, whatever. But I think these things are things that we blow past until we're falling asleep after work every day or something, which was what I did um, because we just were like, well, email's annoying. Like, I don't like email. There's too much of it, right? But really, like, you can be annoyed by it and not want to, like, throw your phone. So it's a very different reaction. And I think that I've become more aware of these, like, more, I guess, not super subtle, but was subtle for me, sign of things are not okay. And I think that's important for people to, like, start taking note of or, like, write down even if it's helpful for you because you forget. So, wait, would you just – you would work and then go home and go to bed? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, there was no like revenge scrolling or anything. You Sometimes just I would be up like scrolling angrily depending, but a lot of times it was like I couldn't fight. Like 
I had so much, I mean, I'll tell you, I actually think it's like when you have a lot of people telling you emotional stuff, you sort of like absorb it like a sponge. Mm -hmm. And then the sponge is like, help me. And the sponge Mm -hmm. is like, go to sleep. So you don't have to feel it. Right. And so that's sort of what happened to me is like, I, I think I was just like, taking in too much, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I just fell asleep after work every day. And then I'd wake up and it'd be like 9 p.m. And I'd be like, now my sleep is screwed up. And so that would like make a cycle of like, then it's worse the next day because I slept until nine and then I had to wake up and I was up till three because like who can go to bed right away, you know? So it's like really messes you up. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a sleeper when I'm really like just overwhelmed. And like my therapist always says like, is it avoidant or restorative when she asks me about sleep? And I'm like, stop being so smart. It is a very good question. For the most part, I, I'm doing both. <laughs> but a lot of things are avoidant. That's that's so you I wish I avoided the via sleep. I'm an escapist. Hmm. I, I don't even know if this is a real term. I, I made this up. I like to escape reality. This is mm-hmm. what I go into television or yes, yeah, generally television, movies. Uh when my sister passed away, I I thought I was totally fine. I was like, I, you know, I should I my you know, my parents are crying. I I should I don't I feel I'm I'm okay. I'm sad, but like I'm fine. I'm totally fine. And I let my boss know. And then I I couldn't get out of bed. And I just was watching television. And then I was stayed there for three days. And then I was like, oh fuck. Okay, I guess I'm not like a. I wish I could just let it all out. But I guess that's not who I am. Like I just want. I don't want to think about it. I just want to escape into another dimension of sci-fi or whatever show I can find, and I just don't think about it. So like I just end up. Ex- that's how I escape my problems. That's how I, I generally like cope with grief or um, if I'm feeling down or blue. Like I just want to watch TV and just just distract myself and just and the, and that that's my how I avoid escape. But I do know. Oh, that's a definitely a telltale sign. Like if I'm just lounging around watching copious amounts of television, something's up. I have two speeds. One's like a hundred and I'm doing like everything possible. And the other's like zero and I'm asleep or on my couch watching TV for like nine hours. And it's yeah. not like there's no in between for me. I'm trying to work on the in between, but for like, I cope by working, which a lot of people in this country do too. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I had a lot going on, but maybe if I could get something done, I'd feel better. I don't have to feel feelings if I'm working, you know? So it, it's a, it's a, the hundred has its purpose, but it definitely leads to the zero a lot of the time because I didn't give myself any sort of like restorative time, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, I'll trade you the escapism for the, cause I don't ever see, if we want to make a trade, I don't, I don't think I generally like, end up working like working to escape things like maybe i do and i just don't realize it but i feel like that i mean that would be pretty useful i mean i don't know i just i don't it's kind of useful but it's it kind of useful hard. it is kind of useful like if something really bad just throw myself into work make a ton of money and then i don't know i could i mean then just feel empty and sad <laughs> You know, you got to deal with this shit for sure. Yeah, but. for sure. I mean, I feel like for me, it's like uh, I just like 
turn my productivity on. And I don't realize it's because I'm avoiding stuff. But over the pandemic, that was very clear that I was like, how much stuff can I do to help, like, help people write things, whatever. And I was writing like four times the amount of things that I usually do. And I was like, my friends were like, are you, are you sleeping? Like, what is going on? Like, what's with your output? And I was like, I mean, there's a lot to say. <laughs> and, and they were like, yes, but like, you didn't have to write four things to tell us, like, maybe just take a break or something. And I was like, starting to realize that I like hyped it up when I was trying to just like, process it myself. And I don't know, whatever else. I think that but uh, yourself, like, the, the fact that you were able to identify that I mean, being a psychiatrist and being trained in that definitely helps. But like, that is, do you feel this is kind of a strange question. I'm trying, <laughs> okay, to, I'm I'm tr- I'm trying to figure out a good way to ask it. I'm tr- like, is there you- a good way? No, there's not. I'm okay. just going to fucking fire away. Uh, do you get, are, do you, are you disappointed in yourself? Like, damn it. I'm a psychiatrist. Like why? <laughs> Cause I feel that's the instantly where I would go. If I was um, feeling depressed, like how, like, I know this, like, why is this affecting me? Like I've studied this, like, this is ridiculous. Is that kind of how you feel yes. with that? Okay. Yes. I mean, it makes no sense, right? Because we we should have the same percentages of all things that everyone else does in the population. We're not yeah. like somehow special. I think that we maybe can identify some things earlier, but I actually think like I run around giving talks on burnout and my therapist had to tell me I was burnt out. So <laughs> that was embarrassing. Right. Like my first reaction was like, I'm embarrassed. And she was like, you don't be embarrassed. Like you're not paying attention to yourself. You're paying attention to everybody else. But I was like, yeah, but like, I can tell you everything. Like I literally can tell you everything about this. Like this is really bad. And I think I just had to give myself some grace on it and say like, yeah, but I'm not like using it as a lens on myself. Like sometimes I notice some things cause I talk about it, but I think it's easy to just like, again, dismiss things in yourself and kind of focus on other people when there is like a lot to focus on in other people. But yeah, I'm always mad. Like I can't, I can't like as much as I know that I'm human and I need to be human, like something like that really pisses me off. Like I shouldn't, like, I'm like, come on. Like you just gave a lecture on that yesterday. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and I, and I think I've had to work through that a bit, but I would say I'm not like, perfect with not being angry about that like it it just feels embarrassing that i i mean i can't i'm not a psychic but i can relate because i'll i'll experience these these moments of just i'm writing all the time i'm on i'm very in tune with myself and then sometimes i'll slip back into being sad or being off and and maybe I stay there. Maybe I stop going to the gym for a few months. And then I'm just like, why? why? I know this, like, why did I do this? Like now I've, I've, I've lost it. I've, I've lost the rhythm and I have to fight to get it back. And, um, you know, I get embarrassed. And, and, and so I just figured if I, if I was you, I, I felt like I'd feel that way. And that's why I had to ask, but, um, I'm honest about my imperfections as a human, but I think that that doesn't mean they don't frustrate me, right? Like I, yeah. I, I appreciate them. I'm aware of them. I know they make sense, but it doesn't mean I don't have the same reaction, which is like, are you serious? Yep. We, we are all perfectly imperfect. And For sure. 
I think, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. I think this is a great place. And so tell, tell the good people where, where they can find you. And, and, you know, um, uh, if you, if you got any books out, this is, this is the time to plug it all. Hi, good people. I am available at Dr. Jesse Gold. I spelled Jesse, J-E-S-S-I, because I was a kid who didn't understand why there would be an E in Jessica, because that's my real name. So Jesse, take off this, Jessica, take off the C-A. Um, Dr. Jesse Gold on all social media, like really like Twitter and then Instagram would be second. And then I'm playing in TikTok. So I'll let you know, but you're welcome to follow me there. So I get better at it. And then I have a website that's just drjessiegold.com. And that's got like everything I've written, anything I've been interviewed in. Um, it try, we try to keep it pretty up to date with stuff. So like, if you want to see any of the stuff that I've done, it's all there. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, stay classy, folks. Talk to you next week. Peace. Stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs>